Um, I would suspect that most of us sitting here can relate to this picture. Either we've been the one with the cell phone, or more commonly, maybe we've been the other one sitting there. Wishing that that person across from us would pay attention to us. Of course, they tell us, oh, I'm listening. But we all down inside have that little voice that's saying, no, they're not. I, I'm, I'm sharing their attention. They may be listening to me, as we say, with one ear. But we know that at least part of their head and their other ear is whatever's going on on that phone. And it's frustrating, especially if there's something going on in our lives that we really need to talk about. It's almost like, you know, the little kid goes over and grabs dad's face and turns it, you know, look at me. They want that attention. They need that attention, that, that, that sense that you're really listening to me. Part of why is I want to know that you understand. Whatever I'm trying to explain, whatever I'm trying to share, or even the question I'm struggling with, it makes a huge difference for me if I realize you understand. You're listening. You, you get it. But you see, the other thing that does is it tells us I matter. I'm important enough that you put away the phone or, or whatever else you're doing and you really listen to me. And it gives me this important message that you matter. We have been talking about the names of God. And we've looked at a variety of these names. If you're new today, um, there are dozens of names for God in the Bible. And they're used because each name for God highlights a different aspect of his character, a different way that he relates to us. And so it's in looking at all of these names that we get a bigger and a clearer picture of God and who He really is. We began looking at Elohim, the mighty God. This is the God of Genesis 1, the God of creation. The God who can speak and the universe appears. The God who can just speak and the dry land comes out from the water. The God who can just speak, and there are birds, and animals in the sea, and animals on the ground, because he is mighty God. But then we also looked at Yahweh, Jehovah. I am is the literal meaning of it. It's when Moses says to God, who do I tell Israel sent me? And he says, tell them, I am sent you. And we saw that it is a message that God has always been and will always be. But not just of his being eternal. It is, he is whoever we need him to be. In one sense, he is everything. He is, I am. And then we also looked at El Shaddai, God Almighty. He is the mountain god. If you weren't here, the Shaddai is, is this enormous mountain. And God says, that's who I am. When Abraham and Sarah are doubting, will they ever have a child? Will they really have a nation that God promised? And God says, I am El Shaddai. I am God the mountain. I will never be moved. 
and I want to explain this. If you weren't here the first Sunday, remember Hebrew goes right to left, so everything's backwards from our perspective. So L is the first word. It's two words. And L is the Elohim, God Almighty. But the words are combined. And all the names of God we're going to see from this point forward will, will either be L something or they will be I am something. But the L is really cool and I want you to capture that. Because it takes whatever the second word is. Like this is mountain. This mighty solid mountain. But when you add L to it, it's like it's a God-sized mountain. It's sort of exponential multiplication. It's the biggest mountain you've ever seen. Now multiply it a thousand times. It's El Shaddai, the God who is a mountain. We can always count on him. And the reason I want you to capture that is that takes us to today. Today we want to look at El Roy, the God who sees me. And there's a great story behind this name because it's not a name God announced. The first three names, God announced them. This one, he was given. And he was actually given it by a non-Jew. A lady named Hagar. If you're not familiar with Hagar, she was Egyptian. And she was a slave. She had... Whatever had happened in her, bad things in her life, you were either captured in a war or you were sold into slavery because your parents couldn't pay a debt or you were born into slavery. All three were terrible circumstances and that had been Hagar's lot. She had no rights. She had no future. She was a slave. And she wasn't even living in Egypt, her own country. She was owned by Sarah, the wife of Abraham. And we look, when we looked at El Shaddai, the mountain god that can be counted on, that name came when Abraham and Sarah couldn't have children. And yet God had promised them children, and yet they were 85 when today happens, or this story happens. 85, still no children. God has said, you can trust me. But they didn't. And Sarah wanted a child more than anything. And she could not have a child. They had tried, obviously, for decades. And so she finally says, I will solve this. So she said to her slave, Hagar, you go in and lay with my husband, your master, and you have a baby for me. Hagar didn't get a vote. Nobody asked her opinion. She did what she was told to do, of course. And Hagar became pregnant. And of course, when Sarah thought that would fix all her problems, it didn't, did it? Because now, there's no doubt about who can't have children. It's Sarah, not Abraham. And now this slave, this worthless slave, is doing what I can't do. She's having a baby. And she's having my husband's baby. And a situation that started off ugly got uglier. 
Hagar, she's not innocent in all this. She becomes very proud. I'm pregnant. Are you pregnant? Oh, you're not. Oh, sorry. I am. And she started to look down on Sarah, who's still her master. And then we read that Sarah began abusing Hagar. Because what she thought was a good idea no longer appealed to Sarah. But now, of course, Hagar's pregnant. And so Sarah makes, Sarah makes Hagar's life a living hell. She is miserable. She finally decides she's going to run away. They're out in the wilderness. She's pregnant. She has no clue what she's going to do, but she's got to get out of there. And that's where we want to pick up the story. If you look over in Genesis 16, I want you to see what happens after Hagar runs away, pregnant, a runaway slave, far from Egypt, far from her home. I want to start in verse 7. Then the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Notice she has no clue where she's going. She can only answer the first half of the question. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son, and you will name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Now hold your finger there, but before we read verse 13... Notice the message of the angel to Hagar. I do need you to go back to the camp. you got to live. And you're not going to live out here in the wilderness by yourself pregnant. You need to go back to the camp and you're going to endure some suffering. But know this, that suffering will not take your life and it will not take your son's life. And that baby that you are carrying is a son and he will actually become a father of a mighty nation. He becomes the head of the Arabs in our world today. And you will name him Ishmael. I will take care of you. It's going to be okay. And that's the message of God to Hagar. And in that message, in that encounter with the angel, with God coming to her, Hagar finds hope, she finds comfort, she is not alone, and she has the knowledge that she and that baby will live. And that brings us to verse 13. She gave, Hagar gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her, you are Elroy. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. And that's where we get this name for God of Elroy, the God who sees me. Roy, that, that second word, is to see. It's to understand. 
It's not just a glance as you're passing by. It's to focus on. It's to really look and see what's going on and to understand. And not just to understand or to notice or file something away as, oh, that's interesting. Roy is to see in such a way that, well, i got to do something about this. I've I, I got to help. i got to get involved. I see what's going on. And now we add L to that. Remember, it takes C and just multiplies it exponentially. We have a God who sees us. He saw Hagar. He saw her in their situation, her need, her hopelessness, her pregnancy, all that had been forced upon her. He saw her pride. He saw all those dynamics, and he says, I see this, and I'm going to get involved. And Hagar got that message. And I think there were several things in that message that God gave to Hagar. First of all, that God is very real. Hagar was not alone. Even though it felt like everybody else was against her or had deserted her, it wasn't true because God was there. And not only was God there, but he noticed Hagar. He cared about her. He cared about her circumstances, he cared about her history, and he cared about her future. He wasn't too distracted being God. She mattered to God. Her situation mattered to God. And that God understood what she was facing. Her fears, her doubts, her questions, her needs, the needs of her unborn baby. God saw all of that. And he had come near to help. The great good news that we have is that we have this same God today. El Roy is our God. Our God is the God who sees us. You're not alone. Whatever you may face in life or at a time in the future, when you feel like I am alone, and maybe the, the people you have normally turned to are too busy. Or the people you normally look to for help are, are maybe even against you. Those people that you thought are your best friends are now on the other side. And you feel like there is nobody. That's not true. You may feel that. That may be your emotion. But the facts, the reality is you are not alone. Because there is God, Elroy. And not only are you not alone, this God cares about you. You are one of his children created in his image, Genesis tells us. And he not only sees your situation, your circumstances, your troubles, he cares. He cares about you, even if you're not innocent. And I think that's important to note. 
we see that Hagar had wrestled with pride and had enjoyed putting Sarah down. Hagar was not innocent in this. Even though there were a lot of things done to her very wrong. My only point is we don't have to be perfect for God to see us and to care. He is that way with us. And he understands. And remember, this is Elroy. So this is seen at a God level. And this is what I want you to really grab hold of today. God understands. And there's a lot of times I, I often go there. Nobody understands. You haven't lived what I've lived. You haven't faced what I've faced. You don't understand what I'm facing now. You've probably all been there with me. You're probably all card-carrying members of that club. But please understand, while a lot of humans may not understand, it is not true that no one understands. That is a lie of Satan. Because our God is Elroy, the God who sees me. He gets it. He understands. And the truth is, because he is God, he actually understands my situation better than I do. I know I think I've got it all figured out. I think I understand it all, painfully so. I think about it forwards and backwards, day and night. I, I know, but God knows even more. He sees more clearly. He sees a bigger picture than I see. He sees all the circumstances and all the history and all the future and all the possibilities. He is the God who sees. He is Elroy. And he is the God who wants to help. I love that song we sang about Jesus. And it says, you didn't want heaven without us. And so you came down. That's the God who sees. And because he sees, has to do something about it to help. And God helped Hagar. And God helps us. He doesn't just see and understands. He helps. Now there's one thing we need to talk about here. Do we really want God to see everything? Be honest. I would suspect all of us have at least at some time said, yeah, I'm not so sure I like this idea. You know, oh, parents are gone. Ooh, that's better. Uh, is anybody looking? Nope. Good. There's times that that's a little intimidating, isn't it? That God would see everything. Sometimes we don't want God to be Elroy. It's interesting here, and I want us to wrestle with this for a minute. If we're not sure we want God to see everything, why is that? Because you see, I'm afraid it tells us more about us than it does about God. And I want you to think about that for a minute. If I don't want God to see everything, is that really about God or is that about me? In Psalm 139, we're going to read a few verses in a minute, but in Psalm 139, David goes to great length talking about this Elroy, this God who sees everything. 
And he says, it doesn't matter where I go, you're there. I can go to the highest mountains, you're there. I can go to the bottom of the ocean, you're, you're there. I can go to the farthest parts of the world, you're there. Wherever I go, you see me. I, in a sense, can't get away from you, God. Now, is it good news or bad news? Well, I thought about that this week. Well, I don't like it when God sees me for a couple reasons. One, if I'm doing, doing something, I, I really know it's wrong. But I want to do it anyway. So God, could you look the other way? I will always remember, I think I've even mentioned this in a sermon years ago, at church camp. And this speaker said, you know what? Everything you've ever done is going to be played on a video screen for everybody to see when Judgment Day comes. And I'm like, whoa, I do not want that to happen. It was a terrifying thought. And so in one sense, if I'm not sure I want God to see everything, maybe it's because I'm doing something that I really know. I really shouldn't do this, but I am. But I thought, well, that's not always the case. There's another reason I don't want God to see. And that is if I'm trying to play God. I want to be in control here. It's sort of like, leave me alone, God. I, I want to be in charge here. I want to call the shots. I want to make the decision. I want to decide what's right for me. And that's a temptation that goes all the way back to a couple named Adam and Eve. And Satan says, hey, you can be God. Eat this fruit. And it always sounds good to us as humans. Huh, I could be God. Hey, that's cool. And Satan still whispers that in our ears. And there's times we say, God, leave me alone. I want to call the shots here. But when I do that, what I'm really doing is deceiving myself because I'm not God. You're not God. We're not. And we're not even qualified. We're not qualified to be God's toenail. For our strength, our wisdom, our perfection, our goodness, you name it. But we lie to ourselves and we're tricked. But what I want you to see is what Hagar saw and what David saw. The reality is, the truth is, the fact that God is here and sees is incredible good news. We should be thrilled with the God who is El Roy, who sees us and cares. That's the good news. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 4 through 6. David has already talked about how much God sees everything. And then in verse 4, Barely a word is on my tongue. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And I had to look that one up. What's that too lofty for me to attain? But as I dug around in some commentaries, what the message of that really is, this is such a higher level concept that I can't even comprehend it. The fact that you, mighty God, are there and see everything and are always there for me. Wherever I go, you're there. And he says, what a comfort that is to me. 
you hem me in, in front of me and behind me. You're right there in front of me, and you're right there behind me, and you lay your hand on my shoulder. Wherever I go, whatever I'm facing, whatever the situation, whatever the problem, you understand and you are right there with me. And both David and Hagar would say, that is incredible good news. You hem me in behind and before me. That is who God is. And that's who he wants to be for you. A God who sees you not to inhibit your life or whatever your plans are. A God who sees to be there with you and to help you. Just like he did Hagar. Now, the question becomes, how do you see God? That's who he is. Will you let him be that comfort to you? Because knowing that God is the God who sees you, I almost borrowed some handcuffs from the detective in the back corner back there, but I didn't. But the truth is, and I get this, that having God is the God who sees me, we'd say, well, it's like handcuffs. But that's not what God wants to be at all. He doesn't want to be handcuffs for you. He wants to be a whoopee for you. The God who hymns me in before and behind. This is the Connor whoopee. When our oldest was a baby, somebody in the church made this and gave this to us. And for several kids and now several grandkids, this is in Maryland now with the youngest grandchild. I had to get a picture of it. I couldn't bring the whoopee. But whenever somebody was sick or scared or feeling alone, you wanted that whoopee. Because everything was okay. And we hemmed that child in before and behind. We tucked them in, wrapped in that whoopee, and life was going to be okay. Most of you probably have something like this somewhere in your past or your family. What a comfort. And Hagar and David would both tell you, that's who your God is. Because your God is Elroy, the God who sees you. And he understands if nobody else does. He's never busy. He's never distracted. He's never on the other side of the universe. He is listening and looking and understanding. And he cares. And he does understand. And he cares so much, he will not just let you sit there. He will come and help you. Hemmed in before and behind with his hand on your shoulder, it's going to be okay. I am the God who sees you. And I will take care of you. Just like he took care of Hagar and David. And Paul, and Mary and Martha, and Lazarus, who came out of that grave 
because his name was called. The God who sees. The God who cares. The God who loves you. Open your life up and allow that God to come near you. You come near him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are the God who sees us. That you not only notice us, but that you care about us. And that you are willing to help us to be involved in our lives and our struggles and our pains. You care. And you will come to help us just as much as you came to help Hagar. We praise you and thank you. And if there is someone here today who has never seen you in this way, Father, may your spirit open their mind and their heart to take that risk to come to you. And let them see that you really are the God who knows them, understands, and cares, and will help them. May the reality of you as the God who sees them become real for them. In your son's name.